Welcome to Peer Pressure. Today's guest is Jesse Mallon. Jesse will be DJing his influences and music that he loves. Also talking about the upbringing in New York. What uh, high school was like. I guess junior high school was like. What it was like to, uh, to really be a teenager making music. And the kinds of things that he is putting together now. Please stay tuned. We're WFMU. Thanks to Lita Martinez for editing the podcast and to Liz Berg for the other podcast duties. My guest is here, Jesse. Hello, hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good afternoon. Welcome to the peer pressure segment of the program. My guest is Jesse Mallon. How are you? I'm doing good. Real happy to be here. I love this station and uh, it was fun to cross the ocean in Harry's car and and get over here and and hear all this good music. I forgot. I hadn't heard magazine. I felt like I was at Jack Rabbit's house or something. Oh, God. Yeah, they're just, they're one of those, those real like go-to bands for me. If it's like time to chill out or time to save the day, it's like, oh, magazine goes on. Yeah, and playing Brian James. Who else would play a Brian James single? That's great. That's the greatest song in the world, literally. (laughs) So thank you for coming. Oh, yeah, totally. And and, uh, you have a lot of stuff going on, and you have for the last 30 years. Uh, Yeah, I've been busy. (laughs) Keeping keeping busy. I like to be doing a lot of stuff, and uh, I'm still having fun doing it. That's the the reason I do it. That and free uh, blueberries and bananas. (laughs) But now you're giving away my secret here, WFMU. Um, and, you know, how old were you when you started in a heart attack? Um, we were 12 years old. We actually uh, did our first gig at audition night at CBGB's. They had that Monday night. Oh, the Monday o- night thing. Yeah, yeah, I called from my school pay phone, and I, I booked it with whoever answered the phone. It, it took a while to get through. They didn't have call waiting, a lot of busy signals. And finally, we booked one of those Mondays, and we piled everything into a couple of cars, all these Japanese solid-state amps, and went down to that that club you know and looked at it we walked in there had this smell you know i didn't know what it was it smelled like i guess piss and alcohol and pneumonia whatever they clean up with and there was some dog sitting there and it really looked scary walking on t- in through the bowery with the dumpsters dumpsters outside the palace hotel flop house and all these you know oh, yeah. bums and homeless people harassing us and and suddenly we put the stuff up on the stage and we did our audition there on monday nights you could be any age at that time and come in and we failed the first audition because we didn't bring anybody that drank and bring anybody. <laughs> and then uh, somehow got a phone call from Max's Kansas City that they wanted us to play there in July. So mm. we eventually got to play CBGB's a month after. But we got the CB's audition led to a, a Max's Kansas City appearance on Johnny Thunder's birthday, which uh, is another story. But yeah, started at 12. The first single that you played on Damaged Goods, uh, God is Dead, came out. In when I was 14, 1981, mm-hmm. giving it all away. Um, <laughs> yeah, and that was uh, the first of three records that we did. Might have been maybe the first first hardcore record to come out. We were trying to play fast, like that band you played, uh, The Middle Class, Out of Vogue. That oh, was yeah. Before the Bad Brains Pay to Come, mm-hmm. Out of Vogue was probably the fastest thing we had heard, unless you put your Ramones records on the wrong speed. Or, you right. know, we used to think that the Dickies sped stuff up, but um, definitely... Hardcore was something that I made my bones and cut my teeth in as far as being part of a learning curve and learning how to do stuff on your own and being part of a scene that was actually happening while we were doing it as opposed to trying to listen to the Dead Boys and the Sex Pistols and people telling you that it happened already and that you should dress up like a pirate and go to Spando Ballet class. (laughs) (laughs) 
And when you um, when you went for the audition at CB's, and it's funny because the CB's Max's thing, that's not the first time I've heard that somebody failed an audition at CB's and then went to Max's. Somebody was at that audition and called me on the phone or something, and we got this gig at, for Max's. And that's so funny. We got there for sound check, and some guy with veins popping out and you know bad skin said, it's Johnny Thunder's birthday. Do you know any Johnny Thunder songs? And we said, we know the Ramones uh, version of Chinese Rocks from End of the Century. He <laughs> says, well, Johnny's going to come up and jam with you guys when I give you the signal, you know, start playing it. And he gave us the signal and we played it for about eight minutes and no Johnny Thunders, just this pimply faced, veins popping, weird, scary, sweaty guy <laughs> singing the song for eight minutes. And then we got done and, and I um, didn't, I thought we totally got, you know, scammed. My, my aunt was there. She said, what was that guy doing? Was he on heroin? And, um, I went downstairs to the arcade. The, the lower part of Max's had now mm-hmm. become a Space Invaders pack man miss pac-man heaven and these two big guys in satin jackets and gold italian horns slanty eyes and silky black hair big guys threw me up against the space invaders and said what was that song you were singing chinese wops and they really they were chinese and they were from brooklyn they were italian and and they thought i was singing chinese wops and wanted to kill me i ran out of there at that time johnny thunders actually did walk in it was his birthday and uh he got on stage we got a few photos with him as uh as little 12-year-olds would. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I got to play Max's a couple times, and Peter Crowley, who still does stuff, was really supportive of the early hardcore scene. He'd let me come in there between junior high school uh, classes and pick up the phone and call my hardcore friends in Queens and put shows together. So I'd be like, hey, Jack Flanagan, where's the mob? Where's Reagan Youth? Yeah. Let's go. And Peter Crowley said, when you take the money, put it in your underwear, hide it, and take the bus and train home very carefully. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, and Peter had told me a story that the Cramps had fa- failed their audition at CB's, and he brought them into Max's. Yeah, I'd heard. I mean, I thought maybe we just really sucked, which is possible, but they said you have to have at least 15 friends that drink and yell and drink more and buy crystals off a of hilly or whatever. But it was um, <laughs> it was interesting to get that phone call, and, and somehow Max's seemed even like more like an upgrade. Like we were like, oh, boy, this is like a restaurant, too. There's art people here and people, right, they have the men dressed as women here. They have the desserts when you walk in the door. Yeah. The, uh, and, uh, and so now, and, and I'm sure you understand the whole idea of the audition and, and, and that because you are a, a owner-operator of venues yourself. Yeah, I started with uh, some of my publishing money back in the 90s, opened a place with my friends called Coney Allen High, and um, we spent five years, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to be on tour with Degeneration and hire a bunch of friends and give everybody free drinks because I'm going to be playing the garden soon and it was kind of like learning how to do that business school for nightclubs I mean oh. I kind of cut my teeth at George Okamelski's house doing the green door parties the loft parties oh yeah that was where we kind of started the idea of you know selling beer and playing records but and uh bringing PA systems in and jumping around but it was Coney did five years, and then that got closed down by the city in the heavy Giuliani times for dancing, mm-hmm. uh, cabaret laws that oh. were being enforced from 100 years ago. Right, and, the cabaret thing. Yeah, so that was a big nightmare for us. So we got to tell people they couldn't dance. It was kind of like, you know, footloose meets minor threat or something. It was <laughs> weird. Um, but then I guess I had this fantasy, you know, I think when you're not playing music, you want to kind of talk about music and listen to music and drink and talk and listen and, mm-hmm. and uh, be with your friends. So... Me and my buddy Johnny T opened up Niagara as the corner bar, and uh, 
that used to be where we played at A7, A7. when we were kids. Yeah. So yeah. these places pick you, I guess. And well, um, I was going to ask you that was that was that something that you really targeted, or it just sort of happened? I actually worked the door when I was eighteen and nineteen at King Tut's Wawa Hut. That was mm-hmm. in between A7 and Niagara. It was. I think it's just that spaces can only become so many grandfathered on can be where a liquor license can exist. I mean, I have a photo of Jack Kerouac looking into the space that was A7, that's Niagara, shot by Allen Ginsberg in 1954. It looks like it could be five years ago. Right. Some guy with sideburns and a, you know, Dickie's (laughs) jacket on. But there's only so many places that can have a license and get a liquor license. So Mm -hmm. I didn't really want that corner. I'm like, nah, I grew up in A7, you know, too many late nights in there. And, you know, I I think we've got to find a different place, but... It's a good corner, and, and right now it has the Joe Strummer mural because of uh, his stopping in a few times and drinking with folks there, and then the fans leaving candles out there when he passed, and then the mm. Redemption Song video. But it's kind of become a classic thing. I mean, when I travel, we tour a lot. We like to go to, you know, after a show, go out to a bar, find a place that has a good DJ or jukebox or just good music and where we can drink, you know, cheap and and just kind of unwind, and, and that's kind of the, the thing, I guess. There's a dark side too. The Hunter S. Thompson alcoholic medication, medicinal, uh, depressive uh, side of the bar life. But I try to I try to look at the positive side of the glass. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know you you've really sort of rescued an old hardcore icon there. That's why I didn't know if you actually were like I really want to own this place. I, I was scared to have to mess with that. Yeah, the yeah. ghost of Dave Gibson, the owner. No, the yeah. entrance was on Seventh Street back in the day, and yeah. then, as you remember, but um. Yeah, that, that was it. Was A7 for those uh, listening was a hardcore club on Seventh and Avenue A, which is now Niagara. And they didn't advertise. You didn't know who was going to play. There was no Village Voice ad or anything. Right. You had to just walk all the way down there and look on this sign that was hanging in this doorway and find out who was playing that night. And the doors didn't open till eleven thirty or midnight. Right. And I was still in junior high school, schlepping back to Queens, two trains and a bus, and and uh, <laughs> and you'd leave there at six seven in the morning, you know, yeah. and, and then I'd try to get up and go to school on Monday, you know, like you're flipping your schedule around and <laughs> taking tetracycline and getting mono and sore throats and you know trying to just do both worlds. But we'd be in there like moshing it up, going crazy, packed in like 125 people in this you know tiny room, maybe more, and then you'd go outside into the cold streets and stand out there and drink a forty. But um, Dave, who ran A7, really did a lot, and so many great bands, Bad Brains, Beastie Boys, DOA, Black Flag. I think it's the first place that Henry says he sang with... uh, Yeah, that's the rumor I'm... Yeah, but I seen him there, and, you know, Heart Attack would play there. Also, the great thing was, like, they had the equipment just nailed to the stage, and if you were rehearsing that night in some shitty rehearsal studio, and like, let's play a gig, I need, you know, $200. We'd take our guitars and our little suitcase full of cables and just take the train in and say, can we sign up? And he'd put you on the schedule and your name would be on this little magic market paper and you'd be playing that so night. So you could rehearse. Yeah, or you'd play in front of... whatever you decided it was. Yeah, originally it was like a reggae jazz after hours club, but um, completely illegal, like most things were back then. And even some of the stuff we do now to to make ends meet is still has to be illegal just the nature of being in a government regulated world mm-hmm. um, with guitars and alcohol and passion occasionally dangerous things you have to I don't know they got you you, know, you can't put more you can't dance you can't smile you know. <laughs> don't take out the penis <laughs> so how did you do in school in those in those times when you were leaving I mean everybody you leave a seven and it's daytime yeah you know, like. it, you'd pass those the Muslim <coughs> church on 11th Street and it'd get to the L train um, I tried to go to school because my mom came from that generation of you're going to go to college and that's the answer and go to college, go to college. And I said, I'm not going to college. She said, you'll regret it. You'll want to go. So I tried to stay in school in Queens and I got beat up a lot for just 
looking different. You know, punk wasn't a household, you know, that wasn't uh, whatever those hot topics and all that stuff. You couldn't get it very easily. Oh, so right. it was kind of like that scene in Summer Sam where that kid gets beat up, the, the character, the Adrian Brody, whatever his name is. And I tried to hang in there, but I'd get tours. You know, we'd go out. I was 13, 14. We'd tour at the Dead Kennedys or I'd go to Mexico City or tour with GBH and... And they didn't really take well to that in, in PS 194 and Whitestone, besides the kids beating you up. And I thought it was weird to like Kiss. I got beaten up for liking Kiss. But when you got into punk and hardcore, they really thought you were nuts. And oh, yeah. I was asked to, to be on Saturday Night Live once and show the world slam dancing with a few other uh, kids with shaved heads. Fear was playing. Uh, I think John Belushi was alive this last year of life, and he, he got Fear on SNL around mm-hmm. Halloween, and we all got a dressing room. and. They, they gave us food, and we came out and started to mosh and dive off the stage. And I went back to school, and my science teacher, Mr. Schlackman, he said, I know where you were this weekend. And I'm like, geez, how do you, like, I snuck into the city. And, uh, of course, he was watching Saturday Night Live and just caught my leather jacket. But I'd wear bondage pants to school, and the, the principal, Mr. Ryan, he'd say, what are those uh, for jumping out of an airplane? What are you doing? And it just wasn't received well, so... A buddy of mine from Reagan Youth, Andy Apathy, suggested a school in the city called Quintanos, which had started in the 50s, mm-hmm. School for Young Professionals. And a lot of people like Johnny Thunders and Steven Tyler and uh, Bernadette Peters and even like some real celebrities had went there. But by the time the 80s came around, this school had literally degenerated into just a place for bluffers, and it wasn't very expensive. Mm. So I, I called up a grandmother I had in the Bronx, and she said that, I said it was a music school like Juilliard, <laughs> and it was 1600 a year, and I, I enrolled in Quintanos, and I could say I was on tour when I was on tour, but I could also say I was on tour when I was just hungover and you know walking in Central Park. And I, I did that, so I went to that school, and that kind of got me through. I could tour the rest of time and sort of get a, an education then I found out they were running a male prostitution ring out of the school, but uh, that's another story. <laughs> I Luckily, so. I stayed out of that. I, I stuck with my Japanese guitar. Didn't go for the upgrade. <laughs> and, and when did you start playing guitar? I mean, you're talking about being 12, being in bands. When did you actually start playing? Um, I lived in Jersey for one year. I lived in uh, South Orange, Maplewood uh, area, wow. and, and I um, wanted a guitar. My father wouldn't get me an electric, so he gave me some nylon string and tried to teach me jingle bells or something. And but I borrowed an electric guitar from a girl in class at the fielding school I was at there on Valley Street, and um, speaking of Jersey, and I started to play this Kiss song, Rock and Roll All Night. I'd seen them on the TV on some special Paul in Halloween, and it was fire, and it was angry, and before then I was just into like kung fu movies and Take the Pebble from My Hand, Grasshopper, Harry, and mm. you know, um, you know Bruce Lee and all that, and that was all my angst. I was mad at my parents. I was mad at the world. I was mad at my teachers. So suddenly Kiss was like, it made more sense. It seemed like, you know, like, wow, this is a fun way to be angry and you could spit blood and burn the house down. (laughs) So we started to dress up and did the talent show. And that was the first time just, you know, bluffing our way through um, rock and roll all night. And then uh, decided, well, you know, I'll take some lessons. They're trying Mm. to teach all this stuff, Jimmy Page and all that fancy guitar playing. And I, I just... Then I heard the Ramones, and the teacher said, well, I could teach you these songs really easy. And then right. after that, I was like, well, I can write these songs. So um, it was just a good channel. Put that in your hand. It was better than a weapon, and uh, it felt really good, and it felt like a good way to express some of the angst. And um, and then people kind of noticed you a little bit, too. So I was, I was wow, people like, but it reacted after we got on stage. Some hated us. Sometimes some weird girls would talk to us. And it was better than rolling up dead hamsters in tinfoil and throwing them around in an auditorium and stuff. <laughs> Certain things the girls don't go for. Yeah. 
And um, so uh, we have a, a question from a listener. They wanted to know, um, do you feel that the marketing of Degeneration was handled poorly by the record label? Um, we had a couple different record labels, and we got signed, first did independent singles with uh, two great little companies, Gasatanka and Sympathy oh, for the Music. Gasatanka, Yeah, wow. and Sympathy for the Music Industry, which was Long Gone John. I think he did The White Stripes and a lot of cool stuff, maybe the Detroit Cobras. And back then, uh, we put out these seven inches, and then we signed with EMI records with a guy named Daniel Glass. A, a woman named Debbie Southwood-Smith signed us, and we got signed out of the Continental club which is uh, now still there but not a live venue <laughs> and we had built something up in New York and it was you know somewhat of an energy we we're having a lot of fun and we signed to EMI things seemed really good for us we were on the radio on the rock station like you know 35 times a week had a feature in Rolling Stone and they fired the the president of the company and they got a new guy and we're at Irving Plaza it sold out and he comes to the show and there's the piece in Rolling Stone and Either it was just the previous guy's baby, or he said he didn't get it. Maybe he didn't get it. I looked pretty funny back then, and um, I still do. But uh, they dropped us. So here we got dropped, you know, all this momentum. We're going on tour with the Ramones, our heroes, and we got a major label deal, and, you know, it really looks promising for us. But they just, as it was leading up, they weren't really doing much. And then we Mm -hmm. didn't know what to do. We figured, we're done. I'm going to have to go sell shoes on, say, Mark's Place and get out those brothel creeper speeches and, you know, sell that shit. (laughs) But I I really had good people around me being in that band that we stayed on the road. We got in a van and we did this really depressing winter tour and ended up in West Virginia playing deliverance cassettes and uh, no, not really. But (laughs) we did this tour that went through West Virginia, Dandelion and some other bands. And then we came back and our publicist and our management said, you know, you're going to get another deal. And I was like, no way, this doesn't happen. You know, we finally got our one record deal. And somehow there was uh, a mix of labels, you know, that wanted us. And we started to, to fly around the country and eating dinners and getting fat on pasta and just talking about this record. Eventually we signed with Sony, mm-hmm. um, Columbia Records. And, and that was really promising there because they seemed like, you know, they knew what they were doing. And and then we got on that label, and it seemed like we'd go on tour in Europe, and there wouldn't be records out overseas. They wouldn't even put, they just signed us for the world, gave us a lot of money, but then they didn't have records out. We'd be out with Green Day, there'd be no records in Europe at all. Like, there'd be no records, and we'd be out with Offspring, no records in America. We'd definitely find things that, you know, you could always point the finger. I mean, we were a tough bunch of people to deal with, and maybe what we were doing wasn't exactly fashionable, even though... It's hard to think just it's a rock band, a silly rock band. But at the time when we started, everybody was into grunge and dressed up like farmers. And, you know, <laughs> we were a little different. And then I think, uh, as my dad says, you know, you're always a little too early or a little too late, uh, you know. But with DJ and we had our core base of fans. We got to do what we did. And I'm proud that we made three records. And, you know, it, we're still uh, doing it occasionally now even still have the bug for it because uh, it somehow came back to us so yeah um but yeah you know you could say whatever i mean look back yeah the labels did screw up a lot we called the mi every mistake imaginable so <laughs> and chrysalis was syphilis but you know whatever what was it like to work with tony visconti that's funny harry was just we were talking about the bowie track on the way here and oh the new one that he said that uh He'd been listening to the Bowie record for a few years, walking around New York with headphones, but it was top secret. I'm glad Bowie's making a record. Tony was um, interesting. I think his name came up the first time we were making a record. We had met with lots of cool people. Part of, I guess, getting a record deal is you get to meet with all these producers, and some of them are your heroes, and just just to talk with them, meet with them. 
Sometimes it's depressing. Sometimes it's like, wow. Other times it's like, Jesus, really? That's the guy? But mm. Tony, I'd always thought he was English and I realized he was from Brooklyn. <laughs> but it was cool. Oh, wow. um, we made the third record, Through the Darkness, the record that has uh, Todd Youth on guitar. And it was kind of a record of transition. I think the band and myself, you know, we were kind of not sure what musical direction we were going. And I think we were listening to Neil Young and, and other things and kind of wanted to break out in some other way. So you kind of hear the change in that record. And I don't think it's really defined. But yeah, Tony was really cool. I remember David Bowie calling the studio one day, and they hadn't talked in years, and I actually picked up the wrong line, and I just heard this English voice, and then Tony got off the phone, his eyes were all welled up, and he was like, yeah, me and Bowie just made up. We're going to make records together. And wow. Yeah, he's got his karate thing, but yeah, Tony um, eavesdropping. did so much, you know? Yeah, I was eavesdropping with the landlines. From the T-Rex stuff, through the Bowie stuff, to, you know, just I guess now I, I'm a big fan of Alejandro Escovedo and what he does with Alejandro is great. Mm. That that new record has that song Sally Was a Cop. It's one of my favorite songs of last year. And uh, I know he works on all his records with Al. And um, you had mentioned um, the Continental and I know that you're playing a show there on the 20th. Um, you want to talk about a couple things that you have coming up? Yeah, I'm playing at the Continental on the reunion, which Trigger does once a year. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a great time over there. And then before that, actually that night, the 20th of December, we're doing Drew's House Party, which is open to the public. It's a, the coolest house concert. We're doing a full band, St. Mark's Social style. It's uh, Derek, our keyboard player's birthday, and we're going to be blasting that out at about 6 o'clock. And the night before that, we do every year, just got back from Europe on it, The Light of Day, which is uh, Parkinson's research and Parkinson's defense, like fighting for a cure and informing the world. Um, it's a great organization started by a guy named Bob Benjamin who has Parkinson's and mm -hmm. is from Jersey. It's just a great music fan, and he's a real trooper. We we do that every year, and uh, that's going to be the 20th at the Paramount, which is sold out, but it's with Willie Nile and Darlene Love and Joe Durso and some other folks. And then the 19th, I believe. No, that's the 19th. Actually, the, the Paramount is the 19th. Yeah. Uh, yep. And then the... What would be the 17th? 17th? Yeah, the 17th. We're playing the bowling alley for Light of Day. Oh, in Asbury Lanes. In Asbury Lanes, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, are you uh, a, are you a bowler? Um, I'm a bad bowler. I don't I don't even take skinheads with me when I go. But I, <laughs> I, I like the shoes. They look like somebody in Slade would wear them. Their teeth knocked out with a you know. Now I don't know. We used to go in there and, and hang out, and kill time when we had to wait for those late shows at the Stone Pony. Mm -hmm. But Asbury Lanes is cool, and I think uh, Willie Niles on that bill and yeah. A bunch of other folks will be doing that at Asbury Lanes. And then the night before that, we're in Philadelphia with uh, Ricky from Degeneration, Richard Backus, and um, a band called the American Babies. So, at um, Johnny Brenda's. Yeah, and doing all this this whole week will be with, with St. Mark Social, which we haven't done in a while to play the full band. Been working on new record and been kind of quiet, so it'll be fun to get out there with Todd Youth and the rest of the guys. So is that what you're working on currently now, St. Mark's Social? We've been doing work on a Degeneration record, oh, um, wow. reunion record or whatever you want to say, and we've been working on that for a little while. And then I've been working on a solo record and a St. Mark's record, so I'm a bit crazy. The only thing I'm not doing is a heart attack record. Right. And I uh, hope it doesn't even count. Yeah. Oh, well. But um, yeah, I've just been working a lot writing. We opened up a spot on Avenue B, a studio affiliated with Tucasa, another... Mm classic uh, Lower East Side institution. So we've been in there doing a lot of pre-production work and uh, I don't know. I'm excited to get out and get to play and sweat. And go down go down to shore. Asbury didn't get hit too bad, I don't think. I think it's the carousel is still there and some stuff, right? 
Yeah, I didn't hear about any any damage in Asbury Park. Yeah, just nearby, but um, it's been a crazy last year. The end of the year got pretty nuts. Oh, for sure, yeah. And um, what what's your involvement with the Light of Day Foundation? I mean, aside from playing the shows, are you involved with the foundation at all? Um, sometimes I'll you know help them reach out to other artists that I think should be involved. I really mm. believe in it. I've done some of the walks in Central Park, but just doing it every year, we go, you know, we just did like nine countries in Europe and um, every year in, in Jersey. I just think it's, you know, a great charity, a great cause. They're saying that maybe there's some new breakthroughs with, you know, some cures with using light and oh, uh, wow. triggering to open up those parts of the brain through some kind of light energy that they're talking about. But Super. just to see what it does to so many people and I felt that maybe the last administration, you know, in the government with President Bush was probably really against some of the things that could have helped, like stem cell research. And I think that, uh, you know, there's so many ways. And it's got to be cures. We have all this technology. And so it's really important to, to fight for that. And then you get around the people that are involved in it. And it's just a great group of people that really love music as well. So the combination of rock and roll as, as the fundraising and, and uh, the good cause together, it kind of, it, it's been growing a lot. So, yeah. Cool. And then the last thing I want to mention before we start going to our DJ set is um, on the 29th, there's a benefit at your place at Bowery Electric for Strummerville. Um, yeah, Strummerville started, I guess, people around Joe Strummer after he passed 10 years ago. I think the first one might have been in Irving Plaza in, that we had in New York, but we're doing it. And the money goes to musicians that are young that need help with you know, transportation, gear, rehearsals, uh, rent. I mean, it's, it's really cool. And we're going to have, a, I guess, a celebration of Joe's life and his music pretty much. So it's Mescaleros, 101ers, and of course The Clash, and mm. a backing band with like Tad from The Hold Steady, uh, Randy from The Scissor Sisters, Mackie from The Cromags, Todd Youth from, from my band musical director and then uh, a bass player from Caveman and uh, Jack White's bass player we have this core group and then people get up and sing Mm -hmm. so um, Joseph Arthur Brian Fallon from Gaslight Ivan Julian from the Voidoids Walter Lohr from the Heartbreakers uh, it's and uh, Matt Pinfield's hosting it actually so we decided you know we're such fans but it's a really good cause too and uh, that's going to be January 29th at at the Bowery Electric uh, another one of those little uh hippie clubs downtown for those lefty fruits. <laughs> so um, you are here as a guest DJ, and as much as I, uh, and you're an awesome guest, so. I'm talking no too much here. I had a couple of high-powered uh, <laughs> carrot juice milkshake spirulina snorts on the way in. But <laughs> Flintstone vitamins actually are pretty good if you're out there. Yeah, but if you're going vegan and you're gluten-free, get the, the gluten-free Barney Rubble Dickies version. <laughs> So what do you want to start with, with your um, your playlist? Well, speaking to Joe and the Mescaleros, this is a song that I know Joe really liked a lot, and a lot of people seem to jump on. It's, it's off his second uh, Mescaleros record on Hellcat. This is Joe Strummer and the Mescaleros with Johnny Appleseed. All right. My guest is Jesse Mallon, and we are WFMU. Stay tuned. A lot of soul took him from the well, locked in a factory. Good morning, Sodom and Gomorrah. Good morning, 
sinner. No, that wasn't your radio sets on the blink again. Returned. My guest is Jesse Mallon, and uh, a couple songs programmed by him. Let's talk about uh, Hector Rivera, Jesse. What was that surf music? I feel like Alan Hale was going to come in here and say, "Surf's up, hot doggers." Oh, that's the Challengers. <laughs> that's my background music. I like that. <laughs> it's very FMU, like to have that kind of like. And here we are. Mm-hmm. Um, Get a that was vibe. Yeah, that was. Some 1960s Latino rock and roll. At the party, Hector Rivera, a song that I got turned on to at a Buster Poindexter concert ah, <laughs> some time ago. That's not surprising. David Johansson knows his stuff. At the party, great song. Sounds like something that could be in Mean Streets, but it, I don't think it is. Before that was V13, Big Audio Dynamite, and that's from their second record, number 10, Upping Street. I think it's like kind of the last uh, out there recorded release songs of Strummer and Jones. Joe had come back to write some lyrics and they spoke again became friends after not speaking for a little while after the clash ended and there's some writing and producing going on there it's a great song v13 about a graffiti artist before that joe strummer and the mescaleros from his record i guess i think it's global agogo yeah it is yeah yes all right i don't have all this wikipedia and you know i just got to <laughs> go off the top of my nose here johnny <laughs> appleseed great song and uh, yeah, I'm really glad that you played that big audio, audio dynamite because I didn't realize when I looked up uh, that up how many songs on that record are Strummer Jones. Yeah, there's credited. a great one yeah. called Beyond the Pale. And mm-hmm. uh, Mick was around playing BAD about a year ago and he's playing some of those songs. And yeah. It's really nice to hear them. And That's the perfect thing for him to be doing. Yeah. You know, that and being able, he, I mean, he's got so much of a, a, uh, a canon of, of music. Yeah, he's super cool, and just they were so ahead of their time, Big Audio Dynamite, like doing that, you know, that mix of the machines, the drum machines, that hip-hop influence, and then his rock and roll pop thing. It's really cool. Oh, absolutely. And um, so at... um, Sorry, I just got myself completely distracted. Um, I wanted to ask you back the, um, the Heart Attack record. The, um, that seven inch is legendary in hardcore circles just for for what it was and when it came out. It's also legendary in collector circles because of how few there were. Um, and and where does it sit for you as like a memory in terms of your musical scope? And you've got 30 years of music under your belt. And 
Um, you know, at the time we were like putting it out and it took so long to get it done and we were upset about the mastering and this and that and we decided to only make 300. And, but then it was really exciting to have it sell in the record shops. You know, I used to come down to Greenwich Village to get import records and indie records, you know, the early Dead Kennedy singles, the Clash singles, the mm -hmm. public image stuff. And then, of course, you know, some of the West Coast records. And to be able to go down to Bleecker Bob's and Nine Nine and, you know, these shops and, and have a single there. And it sold out so fast. And then there was like, you know, a demand for it. It was cool to leave it at that. And just to have a record out no matter what, and, you know. And then it got played on some you know, college radio stations, you know, Tim Summer with The Noise, mm -hmm. The Show yep. on NYU and, and out here as well. And it, it just, uh, it was a fun thing. And looking back, it's been bootlegged, I guess, over the years. And they used to sell them in shops when I was, you know, really young. It would be up on the wall for three, $400. And I'd be like, you know, I'll come to your house and teach you the chords <laughs> for less than that. But it, it's funny to see the different people that have it or talk to me about it. And then, of course, you know, having it be reproduced and bootlegged and reissued and all that but you have an original it actually has inside <laughs> how crazy my original landline phone number back in queens new york in there <laughs> and uh these lyrics about uh atheism and you know questioning all this stuff and really uh reaching to some heavy stuff at a young age now it's it all was from the heart and, and actually it was something that means a lot to me to see this record here it brings back a lot of memories and Everybody on this record is, is alive and well, too. When I go on tour, I see John, the bass player, down in North Carolina. And oh, wow. Javier, the drummer of Heart Attack from Mexico City, is around in New York and was playing with Reagan Youth. And mm -hmm. he's still uh, asking about a Heart Attack reunion record. And we still are talking about it. Still <laughs> entertaining the <laughs> yeah, thought. Yeah, exactly. But, oh, that's uh, cool. Well, for, you know... A lot of people don't have a lot of great memories of their early teenage years, and you've got something that's that's solid, and it's a document, and it's out there. Yeah, these two of these songs <laughs> ended up on a thing called the New York Trash Compilation on Roar Cassettes. Yeah, the cassette, Which yeah. now made it to, I guess, Blu-ray or whatever. <laughs> and um, it had you know a good oh. group of people to be on there with the Bad Brains and the Undead and mm -hmm. Beastie Boys and Kraut. So, uh, so that's still out there. You can get two of the songs. Shotgun, which I wrote when I was 13. I wrote when I was 12 still holds meaning with all this shooting and NRA stuff. It, it's it's so weird to think that so many years later it's the same We're same in issues. the same spot after yeah. 30 years. Yeah, and uh, I guess that's <coughs> a lot of the human condition. But on a better note, let's dance and disco and shake the wang. <laughs> we have a question from a listener who wants to know um, what's easier for you to to write a song inspired by personal experiences or one that come from like observations and imagination? Um, probably both. I mean, if you, it's the personal experiences, you have to be really ready to take it in and be ready to speak about it and like, you know, have something there. Observations, you can just kind of go, all right, I'm going to carry my pen around and I'm going to, my little notebook and write down some stuff that I see and kind of put it together. But sometimes the personal stuff can ring truer. The, I think the combination is, is always a good thing. If you could see something and mm -hmm. then find a way to relate yourself to it and put yourself in that story. Um, some songs on my first record, like Queen of the Underworld or um, other songs, Fine Art of Self-Destruction, they're, they're personal songs, but I try to mask things a little bit and keep it vague and fruity. And then songs like Almost Grown, I'm just telling the story of my first part of my life, just pretty much straight. And mm -hmm. uh, sometimes that works. So I kind of like both. I like kind of hiding and leaving clues and protecting the guilty and then Sometimes just spitting it out. So. <laughs> Protecting the guilty. Yeah. <laughs> Is that you? Or uh, somebody else involved in the situation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, what's the uh, the next song you want to... Uh... 
Oh, boy, I want to play a song. This guy's a great writer of the last 10 years or so. Bright Eyes, Connor Oberst, a song called Classic Cars. Mm. Awesome. So my guest is Jesse Mallon, and uh, here is some Bright Eyes next. Stay tuned. We're WFMU. She was a real royal lady, true patron of the arts. Said the best country singers die in the back of classic cars. So if I ever got too hungry for a suitcase or guitar, to think of them all alone in the dark. So I laid some nights beside her in a bed made for a queen. She said I kissed her different, that all the men her age were mean. Gave me anything I wanted, oh the generosity. I took all that I could, it was free. Now the skies are torn up denim. And the clouds just splattered paint It's a room I'm renovating It's a name I gotta change If I get out of California I'm going back to my home state To tell them all that I made a mistake And I keep looking for that blindfold faith Lighting candles to a cynical saint Wants the last laugh at the fly trapped in the windowsill tape. You can go right out your mind trying to escape. Your chic chameleon Intersecting circles She could hang with anyone When conducting business She would lie about where she's from Saying life is how it is Not how it was I learned to listen Felt like I was back at school Talk forever about the phases of the moon. Saying everything's a cycle, you gotta let it come to you. And when it does, you will know what to do. Without even knowing, I guess I took a purvice. Painted a front door. It's not that often, but I think of her sometimes. Just something quaint, a couple ships in the night. And they keep moving at a glacial pace, turning circles in a memory maze. I made a new cast of the death mask that's gonna cover my face. I had to change the color. 
Been all right. Talked a lot. Right. Yeah. Talked a little too much. <laughs> you didn't talk too much. Put a sock in there, Mallon. We're we're back on. We're back on the radio. Yes, I, yes was, we are. I was saying how I talk too much. I, you talk yes. too much. Well, you worry me to death. You're in the right place though for talking. FM too radio much. left of the dial. Our buddy Tom Baker just arrived in the studio. He works on this side of the pond, and you just heard Alejandro Escovedo and the Sensitive Boys, produced by Tony Visconti, with Sally was a cop off of his last record, Big Station, a really, really great record. And Alejandro's playing, I think, uh, January 18th and 19th at the City Winery. I just did a couple tours with him last year, and uh, mm. there's not a nicer, better, cooler, more... I don't know, he's got super integrity. He's a great guy, a great artist. And before that, Bright Eyes, Classic Car is one of my favorite songs of the last few years. And I don't know, what are we going to do, Diane? We're, uh, we're going to talk about what you have going on. Okay. What we got going on? We got the internet. We got. I like this radio stuff. People used to not know. You know, you just showed up at the station, and maybe whoever was listening to your station heard it. But now we do the, you know, the social networking here, the tweeting and all that, and all these people are like, "Well, you're and, on the radio." Yes, and there may be people listening. There's maybe some people we don't know. No, I know there's always people listening, but it's interesting when you realize that your your friends and fans and people actually know something are out there. So hello to everybody. Thanks for tuning in and supporting WFMU. Diane does a great job here, and this place is a classic. If you're listening somewhere else, you got to come here someday, and they got free parking around back, <laughs> and a great record library. They keep the artists out, so you can't steal that. You know, oh, you saw the sign. You can't steal those early rare records if you want that Steve Bader's and the Wanderers record. You can't take that one. Which we probably do have. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, coming up, you're going to hear Joe Strummer and the Mescaleros. Off of Streetcore, a song called Silver and Gold. This was the last song on the album, and at the end of it, uh, this song is just really beautiful, really kind of sad that this would be the last song that they put. I, they sequenced the record after his death, mm. and at the end of it, he just stands and goes, that's a take, so listen for that. We're coming up January 29th, 29th at Bowery Electric with the tribute to Joe Strummer, to his life and music, and it's going to be called Strummerville. It's a charity concert tickets are on sale i'll be singing some songs some friends of mine will be singing and we'll be having some tequila in the spirit of joe strummer here's silver and gold <laughs> is um can i just ask oh. you is is strummerville a uh, a a solely british um foundation it was started there yeah mm -hmm. and we're working to get more of it focused on uh that's our plan into the states and Great. getting that going. But yeah, I was over just recently playing in London, and I met some kids that were actually on the bill opening up for us, and they had talked about how Strummerville had given them rehearsal space and given them a van and wow. given them ways to get around. The kid was like, you know, 16 years old, and it was wow. like on a bill playing in London with me. And mm. yeah, they, they've done a lot of cool things. You could check out the site Strummerville.com. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I mean that's really important. It's like where where would you be if you if you didn't end up doing music, Jesse? Um, I don't know. I used to pump gas, so I'll tell you what I did when I was a little <laughs> kid. Worked at a health food store. I, I, I would try to probably, I like, you know, some kind of entertainment, maybe some kind of stand-up comedy, but that's always bad. They insult the audience and they make bad jokes. <laughs> you don't make friends as a comic. No, I don't know. They seem depressed. I, you know, I once heard Pee Wee Herman was really mean and I got scared, you know. 
I like the Uncle Floyd show, speaking about New Jersey. I don't know what I would do. Rob Banks, uh, maybe get involved in some films, uh, but I don't do blue anymore. So <laughs> Harry, our friend here, does films. He's working on a new film. He's uh, involved at the post Cassavetes revolutionary leftist atheist blueberry movement. And uh, <laughs> now, I, I don't know. <laughs> That's why it's, I was had to do this thing, this music thing. Yeah. It started when I heard Elton John Crocodile Rock. Mm-hmm. And I, me and my cousin started jumping up and down on the mattress as fast as we can. We I thought that was like a fast record. Then. We heard this other seven inch, uh, which I listened to the other day, Herman's Hermits, Henry the Eighth. Oh yeah. And then I, I realized the listening eighth. to it again, I was like, I think Joey Ramone liked the Herman's Hermits. There's a little bit of that I out, let's go, right. Cockney Rebel. <laughs> <laughs> um What do we got? We are going to the uh, to Silver and Gold. Um, by Joe Sherman and the Mescaleros. My guest DJ is Jesse Mallon. Please stay tuned. Yeah. One, two, one, two, three, kick. I'm gonna go out dancing every night I'm gonna see all the city lights I'm do everything silver and gold I got to hurry up before I grow too old I'm gonna take a trip around the world I'm gonna kiss all I think I'll stay a while what tomorrow brings I've been told and I believe that life is meant for living even when my chips are low there's still some left for giving I've Maybe not as far as you Jesus don't cry We are back with Jesse Mallon. So uh, let's go over that playlist there. You just heard Cycles by Ricky Lee Jones, a song that Frank bleh, a song that Frank Sinatra covered on a record called Cycles in the 60s. A really great record, and that's a great version. The cover of Cycles, the Frank Sinatra record on Reprise, kind of looks like the cover of the first Minor Threat record. Check that out. Really? Yeah, hmm. um, but he wasn't straight edge, Frank, I don't think. I don't think so. <laughs> he said Jack Daniels didn't rust the pipes either. <laughs> Before that, uh, a man who wasn't straight edge either, Silver and Gold, Joe Strummer and the Mescaleros, uh, playing that, thinking about our Strummerville concert benefit 
January 29th at Bowery Electric. Before that, Sally was a cop, which has definitely some clash to far eye in it, from Alejandro Escovedo and the Sensitive Boys. And you'd last heard, and I, my order's all messed up here, so what I happens when you start say. talking and we're eating blueberries <laughs> and looking out the window and you know, dreaming of the Holland Tunnel, $15 uh, play ride there. Uh, that You just heard recently, most recently, Jesus, ugh, Jesus Etc. by Wilco off a of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, one of my favorite records in the last 10 years, and this might be the best song on the record for me, Jeff Tweedy and those guys, Chicago. And uh, coming up, we got a band out of Sweden, a newer band. This is their third record, actually. They're going to be playing Bowery Ballroom on the 25th of January. Are they? Yeah, oh, they're heavy great rock band. And yeah. I think they're in Williamsburg, it says here in my notes. Williamsburger. Mm. Have a Williamsburger, Alan Ginsburger. Uh, Williamsburg Music Hall, Graveyard. And this is Endless Night. Check it out. And before we go to Endless Night, just want to ask you one listener question. Oh, see, I'm in this fast uh, I know you AM are. radio I know mode you here. Are. CBS, uh, I'm at too many Cousin Brucey well, uh, shout outs. You got the fans and the people want to know. Um, with three albums in the works, is there any timetable of what's going on with the DJ and St. Mark's? Uh, social or your own solo stuff? Yeah, it's been, it kind of had a plan and a release plan, and now it's kind of um, whichever kind of gets finished first and seems to make the most sense. We started the DJ record in, I guess, would be October, and then we took a little break around the holidays and uh, for a couple pillow fights and, <laughs> you know, grab some more coal and some good critical praise. And then we're kind of starting that up again in a little while. And I don't start my record till, I guess, be like March. Okay. And then the St. Mark's record's going to follow. So there's a lot of songs, there's a lot of demos, and the schedule's just kind of getting tweaked. But we have a lot of the DJ stuff done already. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I'm just going to kind of see what happens, see what gets out there first. Do you but, ever write something and then and then realize it's not a solo thing? Like, oh, this should actually be for St. Mark's or, or whatever? Like We're kind of getting that sense now, at least. I used to just write and not think about it. But I guess when we do the degeneration stuff, me and Danny Sage were writing a lot, just sitting in my apartment and kind of, you know, coming in what we had and kind of thinking in that way, you know, putting on my, my brothel creepers and my dance belt and uh, getting <laughs> ready to hit myself with a SM58 microphone and what works in that kind of rhythmic uh, groove. <laughs> <laughs> but um, forget the eyeliner, we gave that up. But it was been, it's been really fun. The D-Generation shows we did back at the Irving Plaza show and going mm -hmm. overseas and going, you know, we even did some dates for Guns N' Roses. That was, you know, to be in arenas again was kind of a, a wild goof. So uh, we had some fun. It, that, that band is family for me. You know, we all grew up together and we'd been through so much and first record deals and first tours. And uh, so it's special to go back to it. And then it's great to be able to have, you know, be able to make my own records and say whatever the frick I want. They got these rules here, these, they uh, have these, these Catholic uh, stations here. No, I'm just joking. We're not here at the metal station. We're here at the cool station. Well, that's all right. The metal station is okay, too. Well, but this is somewhere in between. Rules. We're going to play a song that kind of could fit on both. That is true. But I like both kinds of music. I like uh, punk and rock. And uh, so we are going to hear next Endless Night from Graveyard. And my guest DJ is Jesse Mallon. Please stay tuned. I see right through the
And we have returned Jesse Mallon at the uh, at the helm doing the DJ thing. And you know, I wanted to ask you, you um you've done radio radio with John Varvatos, right? I have a monthly show up on Sirius Yeah, it's called New York Nights that mm-hmm. we do and uh that's a lot of fun. We have guests and we throw pies at each other and have fashion contests and how does pies and fashion go over on radio uh well the hot mops come in and the wild dogs i mean look at today tom baker shows up here our buddies is having a lunch break with a brown paper bag comes over here <laughs> harry's here we're trying to navigate our way through the apple uh, sat nap mat uh, apple maps well you just heard the rolling stones with mercy mercy and that's uh don covey's song if you listen to the original you can really hear where mick jagger got a lot of his voice we we're just saying mick jagger still sounds the same it's not like you hear rod stewart and you're like who's that tom waits on acid it's like <laughs> mick jagger still i'm happy to see that and before that new jersey's finest one of the greatest bands out now ah the gaslight anthem miles davis and the cool that song is so good i just dig it dig it dig it and uh that's from their record to 59 sound Brian from the band is going to be part of our strummerville concert in new york to benefit charity for strummerville and uh, that's coming up January 29th at Bowery Electric. I'll be singing Joseph Arthur, Ivan Julian, HR from the Bad Brains. More on that later. Before that, Endless Night with Graveyard from Sweden. Great new band, really heavy rock stuff. They're coming through town soon, too, at the Bowery Ballroom January 25th. I'm like the concert calendar here. You are. You're the, I got some San kiosk. Pellegrino. I did my research here, and I don't even use the Internet, the Google box or... Um, even I do some tweeting once in a while. I've learned how to press the button on my million-dollar phone, and uh, I'm distracted everywhere I go, touching buttons and banging into people in the street. <laughs> killed my creativity, brain cells. Harry says it's like holding a microwave radio up to your head and and trying to cook uh, some oral Redenbach or popcorn out of your brain, cerebellum style. Anyway, what do we got, Diane? <laughs> um, I, I just wanted to mention some of your uh, upcoming gigs. Um, on the 16th, you'll be playing at Johnny Brenda's in Philly. That's a St. Mark Social. Going to see so. Millie down in Philly. Yeah, St. Mark Social. <laughs> and um, Rick, Richard Backus, we call him Ricky, mm-hmm. from Degeneration is opening up. And the American Baby is a great band. And that's a cool club for Philadelphia. I always go there and don't feel like I want to do heroin. So I, I'm not that's a drug a guy. But yeah. yeah. We used to go to Philadelphia and everybody was scratching themselves. I was so naive in the 90s. <laughs> I thought everybody had a cold. Right. Right. Uh, and the then, drugs. And then uh, the 17th at Asbury Lanes, that's the Light of Day Bolathon. Yeah, Asbury Lanes, and that's the benefit for Light of Day. There's still tickets for that, and that's full band. We'll be on the stage in the alleys hanging with Sally, and, and we're taking the skinheads bowling, too. We know some of those folks from the campers in the back with Beethoven. You can bowl around, Jesse. I saw a handsome Dick Manitoba play there once. It was pretty cool. Yeah, it's a fun place. Yeah. And then uh, at the Paramount in Asbury Park on the 19th, that's another Light of Day Festival uh, show. I think that one's sold out, but if you have, don't have tickets, call uh, Drew's House Concert. Usually has an extra one if you give him a bottle of Don Julio. <laughs> the next day, right? Where are we, the 20th? At the Continental, yeah. Oh, yeah, but the day show oh. at 7 o'clock, we're at Drew's House Concert, the best house concert in the world. Um, I mean, Grant Parker, the star of This Is 40, I mean, he played there. So. Yeah. Um, no, it, it's really a good place. We, we bring a full band, Todd Youth turning up the Fender basement, and we'll be doing um, a little rock and roll show. It's Derek Cruz's birthday. He's part of our SMS uh, confab. And then off to the Continental to celebrate uh, what they do there, Trigger's yearly reunion. So is that usually the same lineup, pretty much? I don't know. He's got C.J. Ramon, and, and that guy's yeah. pretty tough. And, and then he's got... Um, 
the honky toast. Those guys don't always play. I, I never know until I get there, but it's usually a lot of people I know, and they're usually drunk and having a good time. It's a good time. Yeah, it, it's definitely leather weather at that show. You put on your leather jacket and you get ready. I'll, I might even go back to Rolling Rock if they still uh, distribute that on the <laughs> old Latrobe network. But um, yeah, that's the 20th. And then we got the 29th at Bowery Electric. We'll be doing Strummerville. And then back into the studio to finish up these records. So there's a, a reason to go out and have something to say. And instead of just uh, becoming a, a national radio DJ here and <laughs> working on the J.D. Salinger, Jack Daniels uh, thing. So wait, um, and, and speaking about drugs. Oh, perfect segue. Yeah, this I guess rock and roll and drugs are synonymous. I've never really tried any. To me, I, I like to drink, but... The closest I ever got to drugs was, uh, as a kid, sh- sugar smacks cereal. Mm. And uh, th- that gave you a lot of energy. But this man, uh, one of the inventors of rock and roll, Bo Diddley, I think he's mm-hmm. from Florida. And this is a song covered by a lot of people on drugs. It's called Pills. Indeed. So my guest DJ is Jesse Mallon. And, uh, Diane's here. Harry, Tom Baker, <laughs> WFMU, always, always a good time. In the house. Got sell- Sam Pellegrino and a banana. <laughs> <laughs> what could be better than that? All right, folks. Two lips t- and an organ. <laughs> Stay tuned. Well, I was laying in a hospital bed. A rock and roll nurse went to my head. Just hold out your arms and stick out your tongue. I'm gonna give you one She went to my head To my head To my head To my head She went to my head To my head Well I was laying in a hospital bed
person can work out a mean, mean thirst after a hard day of nothing much at all. The summer's past, it's too late to cut the grass. And we are wrapping things up here. Jesse. Yeah, let's Diane. talk about those those songs. And first, I want to thank you. I do really want to thank you for coming and for for being the artist that you are, and for really creating like the saving the punk scene in New York. And I know that, that sounds weird, but it's like you're still such a part of of New York. And um, well, thank you. I, I guess it's that teddy bears thing. I'm a punk rocker. Yes, I am. No, I don't know. We just have a good time doing it, and there's still so many people that you know care about this music, and well, it's yeah. cool to see you know people that we know for years come out, and it's really a it's important and and a community, thank God, a family. You know, yeah. Thank God somebody is doing that. You know, and you're very quiet about your contributions, but I just wanted to kind of get that out there because you're the guy. You're like the kiosk. You make things happen. Oh, you know, boy. Jesse's in here doing stuff and making it happen and 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 being an awesome dj at the same time so thank you no problem we'll come back again we'll bring some more uh, blueberries <laughs> and uh, and some pellegrino so uh, we just heard there don delego yeah that was here comes a regular don is amazing that's on his latest record before that the bad brains from 1980 produced by jimmy quid pay to come the original seven inch which diane knew to get the right one she knows the right one I know the right when one. it came out that was the fastest song or there's a debate whether the middle class out of vogue which you played earlier was that mm-hmm. the fastest song mm-hmm. uh, as you said very well put that there's a lot more words that hr has to spit out in pay to come right um and before that would we hear pills by yes. bo diddley yep yeah so uh from the 50s great song and it's been a lot of fun so i hope to see everybody come out to one of our Benefits, concerts, gigs, or just uh, poetry readings. And check out jessemallon.com, and uh, you also have a Facebook. Uh, yep, I'm you, on Facebook. You can, you can like book. him on Facebook. So we are WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, WFMU.org. Thank you very much, Jesse. And that wraps it up for today's podcast. Thank you to Lita Martinez for editing the podcast and to Liz Berg for all the other background work. We are WFMU.